of this message is the kingdom of heaven freely he freely god gives disciples the kingdom of god that's i would hope and i kind of preach and kind of promote the fact that we're disciples you know that's the followers of christ called disciples students okay that's what that's, that would be us and we kind of want to be like jesus we want to be like god the character of god we talk call that character daikosune you know this inner goodness and so it's, it's like being like him. He gives, we give. And that's mentality. And of course, I think some churches might want to emphasize a certain kind of giving, a financial giving, which we're not going to do. And we're not, we think it's much more than just that. There might be a part of it, but it's much more than that. So that's why I put a question down below. What, what, what do they give? What is it that a disciple gives? Well, what is it that God gives? You know, what is it that, that God requires or would desire of us in, in our character? as we live and follow him and represent him in this world. So in review of uh, uh, last, well, three weeks ago, I think, because we had two guest speakers. If you remember, we, we were speaking of Christ's life. Here is Christ being Christ. Jesus is being Jesus. He's not pretending. He's not faking it. He's not putting on his work hat. He's out being himself. And, and there's various elements of who he is, and we're going to continue to dig through the various elements and the various components and characteristics. But one of the elements that we've focused on, because we're going through Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Matthew decided to really emphasize the fact that the healing nature, you know, which, which authenticates his messiahship. The messiah is to be a healer. And that's what we have Zechariah who prophesied the fact that he was going to be a healer and he's going to be there amongst his people. And, uh, and, and I think it, it actually is a beautiful verse that fits well specifically with the woman who had the, the problem with the bleeding. And when Jesus came by, out of faith, she reached out to him. And it says in Zechariah, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you. Because we have heard that God is with you. And that's a beautiful verse in many ways. I'm not going to tear this verse apart because we're in Matthew, not in Zechariah. But I love what it means. It's just people want to be with Christ. Because with Christ, they recognize and see that God is there. The, the, all things he does, not just because he's able to heal, but because of his character. What he represents, the love, the, the, the holiness, the pureness of Jesus. People saw him and knew that this guy was special. He was different. So we talked about that. We talked about his ministry specifically, his life specifically, as he's going about town, healing people. And then we also have, so that's, so that's why I titled it Four Healings, and then we have the funeral bit. And the funeral bit is the unfortunate bit, which comes in chapter 9, verse 34, at the bottom there. But these Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the time, the ones who should know better, who ought to know better, who should be prepared for the Messiah, who should have be studied and readied, understanding the scriptures, ready for Jesus. They weren't. And they were a bit jealous. And they said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. And of course, my commentary to that is what a sad, jealous, 
erroneous response to what really is going on. Jesus is there bringing the kingdom of God at hand, as he says. He's bringing the kingdom of God near, as it says in the NIV. And as he's doing it, he's touching people, broken lives, broken people, broken, sad, sick, ill, confused, just a, a sorry people. And he loves them and he wants to heal. He wants to be with them. He wants to bring them a blessing. The blessing is the kingdom of God. And yet, yet we see jealousy here. Ah, oh, what's he like? He shouldn't do it that way. And that's just to kind of to bring us up to where we are now. In the next slide. Despite this opposition from the Pharisees, I mean, you and I, if we hear opposition, sometimes we, it crushes our souls and our spirits because we're people and we're fragile. You know, you hear somebody say something negative about your ministry or about your job or your work or your personality, you get, it, it, it deflates you. Oh. You know, but Jesus, I love his confidence. Again, he's a son of God, <laughs> so he knows what's up. He knows the opposition. He knows the spiritual frustration and the spiritual attacks that are going to be against him. He knows what's, what's coming up against the Satan and all of his whole forces are going against him, and he's aware of it. So he's not going to allow this cheap little remark to deflate him and slow him down. Despite the opposition, he carries on. And so Matthew 9.35, which is where we are this week. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He continues his ministry. He continues to go. He knows his mission. He's sticking to it. He goes from town and villages. Teaching. Number one, teaching in the synagogue. Down here, a little point I put up here. How are people to know about God's kingdom if they're not taught? Jesus went to people to explain to them. Of course, we'll see the good news. You know, He's teaching in their synagogues, opening up the scriptures, their scriptures, the Torah, the, the law, the Old Testament, right? Teaching it, explaining it. And the cool thing about that is, is Paul, again, he talks about how are people to be saved unless they hear the word preached. Later on in this sermon, we're going to reference Ephesians where it talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How are, is anybody going to know God? How's anybody going to know Christ? You, you, Unfortunately, we live in a generation where people want to represent God and Christ through their own feelings and emotions, their own opinions and subject, you know, kind of thoughts about God. And that's fine, I guess. I think it's kind of cheap, though, to be honest with you. Because what's the best way? I mean, if we're honest ourselves, how can we really know about God? How can we really, 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 really know about God unless he reveals himself? Right? Even philosophers wrestle with that. You know, how do we know that the scriptures are real? And if the scriptures aren't real and the scriptures aren't divine or inerrant or inspired by God, then how through nature, how through our own imaginations and thoughts and observations, can we know God? We really can't. But the beautiful thing is God has spoken. He has spoken. And we have the word of God. Here's Jesus speaking as the perfect representative of God in the synagogues, teaching them the truth of God, his kingdom, Proclaiming the good news. And this is excellent news, because now the problem is solved. We, can't, we don't have to just have opinions and thoughts and imaginations and, and wonders about God. Now we can know the truth about God. We can know the truth about God, because Jesus, who is the Son of God, is here teaching us about God and his kingdom. And we have that writing here before us. Unfortunately, there's many churches, many people who have put this aside. Let us never put this aside. How are we ever going to know Jesus and God but through the word of God? Now, of course, that is not to say we don't have a relationship with God and God doesn't speak to us in, in a very personal way. We know that. We trust. The Bible is actually very clear that there are various ways in which God can relate to us as people. 
and speak to us. Okay? And he leads us and guides us through prayer, through prophecies and, and, and whatnot, through word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And, and those are true things, but they have to be founded upon the Bible, on the word of God. Even the, our ideas upon those things are founded within the Bible itself. So the Bible is a starting point. So we need to continue the, this, 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 and appreciate the teaching. We need to be taught at church. We need to be taught at home. We need to be taught throughout the week. We need to teach other people. We need to give people the word of God because this is the, our only hope for our world, for our society, for our culture, for our village and our towns is the word of God, the truth teaching. And, that, and, and if, you know, bear in mind, Jesus, what he's going to do is going to be the right thing, right? If, he's, if, if Jesus is going to start a ministry, he's going to start the best ministry possible because he's the son of God. <laughs> and what's his ministry? It's teaching in synagogues. Yes, he's healing people, but he's also teaching. Doing what? Proclaiming the good news. Again, as we've already seen several times, I mean, this whole thing has been filled with people with pain, sufferings, illnesses, diseases. They're filled with pain. And so he's telling them the good news. The good news is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close by, it's near. This is good news. You don't have to be wondering and guessing any longer whether or not you have a right standing with God. The good news is he's here and he's close to you. They desperately need some good news, these people he's talking to, he's ministering to. Desperately need some good news. And he's got the good news. But they also need to change. And that's also part of the good news. And so here in the third point, remember our initial, the initial message that Jesus and John the Baptist came with, repentance. Remember he says, it's make the path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus started as well by saying, repent. And the reality is, these people with pain, just like, you know, as well as the Pharisees and people who don't have so much pain, they all need to change. They're all going the wrong way. And here's the good news. There is a right way. And we can know what the right way is. That's good news. How are we going to know unless we're taught that? How are we going to know unless it's showed to us? How are we going to know unless it's preached to us? How are we going to know unless God himself reveals it to us and God has revealed to us through the word of God, through Jesus Christ? Now, we might have feelings, emotions, subject, you know, ideas about it, and those are fine and dandy, but let us not put those before uh, the before the very fundamental fact that Jesus is real, he was alive, he ministered, he spoke, and he chose disciples, God inspired these disciples, and even the Old Testament prophets like Moses and whatnot, to put together these writings that represent God. So this is good news. There is a way. And the way is obviously, as we'll see continuously through the Gospels, is through Jesus Christ. He's showing us, and he is the way. So repentance is a message he's already, we've already seen as far as like our studies through Matthew's concern. So we want to remember in context that there needs to be change. Even for, you know, for the Pharisees as well as for the sick people. For everybody. Um, and also the kingdom of it is at hand. It, it, it's here. It's close by. It's, 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 it's like my coffee's at hand. I can grab it and I can drink it. NIV says it's nearby. And also, remember when he started teaching, he started preaching, his very first sermon, what did he start off by saying? Blessed are poor in spirit. Mourners. You know, persecuted. Um, you know, those who are, you know, Thirsty for righteousness, you know, all these people who are just down and out, they're just like, ah, you know, they've lost something. They, they, they feel like they're, they're not in touch. You know, they don't have what the other people have, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. They're, they're out of touch. They're totally out of touch. He started by 
He started by talking to them and dealing with them, saying, you guys are blessed. Again, why? Because Jesus is there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. But of course, we need repentance. That's, those, those are three crucial elements of G, or, or components of Jesus' message that he's preached. So continuing on, Matthew 9, 36, 38 says this. So he sees the crowds. Again, this is, I think this is the third time in Matthew we've seen him looking at the crowds. This time it describes his sensation as he looks at the crowd as having compassion on them. He looks in the crowds. He has compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless. How else would God respond to people? How else would God respond to us? He's not going to condemn us because we're harassed. What's wrong with you? Why can't you get it together? What's the matter with you? If you just listen to me, things will be better. No, he has compassion. Vines defines compassion to be moved as to one's bowels. Hence, to be moved with compassion, have compassion, for the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. So in a sense, Jesus' heart hurt. He felt heart pain or stomach, belly. So, you know what it's like when you, when you feel something emotional? You can feel it deep in your chest. For people, these people who were harassed and helpless, Okay? So we have compassion on them because they were harassed almost like sheep without shepherd. I love this. What, what, when I think of sheep, I think of confused little animals that get lost easily. And they, when, they, I mean, when they fall over you know, on their back, they can actually die because they, they can't flip back over again. I mean, what a sad, pathetic animal. And so he's looking at them, not like they're sympathetic animals, but that they're totally helpless. They are, they're totally helpless. And they need help. And the Son of God's here to give them help. And as he's going to say here, he's going to choose to use people to do the job. These are, there's many people that are harassed, many people who are helpless, and we need help. I don't know, maybe Jesus could have done it by himself, but for some divine reason, he decided to use us. And are we kind of glad he decided to use us? He decided to give us the opportunity to do this divine ministry, this divine work. I mean, he's Jesus. He's God, the Son of God. He can do anything he wants. He could have just done it all himself. Don't forget what he was doing earlier. He just said the word, and somebody was healed miles away. So he doesn't need to use us, but isn't that cool that he chose to use us? Chose to let us be a part of this kingdom process? So he asked the disciples. Well, first of all, he makes a statement. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of things we need to do to care for people, to minister to people. There's a lot to do. But the workers are few. I think of shots. And I think, is, this, is, is the harvest still ripe in a sense? Is, is there still a lot to do? Or, or are, we, are we done? I think of, you know, the surrounding areas. I think of Scotland in general. I think of the world. I think where I come from. You know, are we done? Is the church done? Or is there still a lot to do? I personally think there's a lot to do. I, I, don't, I, I would say there's a, a whole lot to do. <laughs> I mean, I would say there's a desperate, huge harvest just in this village alone that needs to be cared for. Harassed and helpless people that need to be cared for. I should have, like Jesus, compassion upon them. We, as disciples, as followers of Christ, should have compassion like Jesus. This this deep, heart-moved compassion to do something about it. And so he says, ask the Lord. I like this. It's almost like it's a bit rhetorical. It's like, what's Jesus all about? Who's the Lord? He's saying, ask the Lord. He's saying, ask me. 
Uh, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers. It's almost like, yeah, Jesus, there's a lot to do out here. Well, then ask me to send workers. Um, Okay, Jesus, send workers. Guess what? It's you. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. The word sent out, again, in in, in the Vine's um, uh, dictionary, it's um, ekebelo. And the word can be defined with uh, a notion of violence or without a notion of violence. Without the notion of violence, which I believe he's talking about here, means to lead one forth or away somewhere with a force which he cannot resist. It's almost like they are compelled. Ask me to put in somebody's heart to do the job. You know what I'm saying? It's, like, it's, like, it's not like, well, okay, yeah, I think we kind of need to, to do this thing. So yeah, I'll show up and, and, and do it. No, he's actually saying, you ask me to send workers to do this job. And I will send out workers in the sense of a force which cannot be resisted. This, 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 I'm like feeling compelled. I must do this job. This burden is great upon my shoulders. Here, here I am. Here we go. And again, he's talking about his disciples. I started his message off by calling us disciples. So in a sense, we should have that feeling. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I don't think anybody can really tell you what to do because the reality is the word of God gives us a lot of information, but we need to spend some time with Jesus, spend some time with God our own and ask him, what do you want me to do? I have enough difficulty myself figuring out what I need to do as far as my work responsibilities. But I, can't, I certainly can't tell you what your work responsibilities are. We all need to go to Christ and say what do I need to do? Give me that force which cannot be resisted. Give me that sense of urgency. Because again, in our society, in our culture, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So these disciples are the ones who are compelled to go. And they go with Christ's authority. That's a cool thing. They don't just go on their own strength and their own power and just kind of thinking, well, I got my opinion and people can just challenge me, you know, whatever. Uh, no, they're going with authority. We go, the Christ disciples go with authority. Who's the boss? Not just the boss of us, but the boss of the world, Jesus, because he's the Lord. And, and, and if he gives authority, you can be assured the authority is given and the authority is there. So Matthew 10, 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him, and he gave him authority to drive out. Now, here's the funny thing I thought. The word drive out, again, is ekbalo, to drive out. This time with a notion of violence, to cast out, to drive out. And, and the thing is, again, from just looking at these scriptures, we can see all, that there is definitely a spiritual battle. And I think we need to put that in our minds. The battle we have, it, it, and I think the attack from the enemy is going to be spiritual as well. It's going to get our souls. It's going to make us depressed. It's going to make us tired. It's going to make us lazy. It's going to distract us. And it's going to be hard to see because they're not bullets made out of physical pieces of material or arrows made out of physical pieces of material. This is an attack that we can't see. So it's subtle and it's tricky. So, so but look, authority is to drive out impure spirits. Heal every disease and sickness. I think there's plenty of impure spirits still hanging about. I believe there's still plenty of diseases and sickness hanging about. Um, I mean, we could talk about the obvious, like cancers and, and whatnot, physical illnesses. And 
We could also talk about mental illnesses, mental health issues like depression, like I mentioned, anxiety and whatnot. These are all things I believe that Christ wants to minister to us. He may not completely heal us. Remember Paul? He wasn't completely healed of his ailment, but he was close to God and he was able to manage. He was able to overcome because of the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. So we we need to remember that, our our kind of our, our theology on healings. You know, he may not always heal, but what we do know is he's always there, and he will all, always give us the strength to overcome. But here he is, the authority to do these things. And I'm thinking about various people who are hurt, Christian and non-Christian alike, who are hurt, who are thrashed, who are oppressed spiritually, who suffer various diseases and sicknesses, and they just need some love. They just need some compassion. They need somebody to pray for them. They need somebody to listen to, maybe. Or they need someone to listen to them. Various things that we can do that it's like Christ would do. Um, I have a reference here, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, which also he comes back after he dies on the cross, you know, and rises from the grave. He he meets his disciples, and he sends them again, just to kind of a, a confirmation. It says in Matthew twenty-eight sixteen, and the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him; they worshipped him. But some doubt it. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, reminding them, Don't you remember? I'm sending you with my authority. All authority in heaven and on earth. There's no greater authority than this. It has been given to me. Therefore, you go. The authority has been given to me. I'm the boss. And I'm telling you, now you go. Make disciples. Make others like you. Disciples, that's, that's the truest, purest sense of the word when we talk about Christian. When you say Christian, I hope you mean a disciple in this sense. Go out and make disciples. Students, people who are passionate and follower of Christ. Of all nations, the whole world, baptizing them. Baptizing to dip, to submerge, but also to, means to overwhelm. To submerse them in the name, the character, the teachings, the thoughts, the life, the kingdom of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them. Oh, there's that word again, teaching. We need to teach. We need to learn. If we miss that out, then we have no substance to grow from. No substance to make decisions from. No substance to live by. But not just teaching, teaching to obey. You listen, you follow. You listen, you do. You hear, you obey, you respond. Everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. That's a comforting thing. This is a tough job we have. Isn't it comforting to know that this Lord Jesus, the, the, <laughs> the one who has all authority, is with us? We don't go ever on our own. Ever do we go. Ever do we speak. Ever do we preach. Ever do we witness. Ever do we pray for. Ever do we have lunch with. Ever do we have you know, a random encounter with someone that we're alone. We always have Jesus with us. And, and, and there's no stopping point. It'll always be that way until the end of the age. Next one. So the battle is then, like I said before, it's a spiritual battle. And, and Paul gives us some, some advice on how to equip ourselves for the spiritual battle, how a disciple ought to conduct themselves. And in Ephesians 6, 11, and I'm sure a lot of us already know these verses, and they're probably a refresher for us, but you know what? That's what we're here for to put on our think camps, to refresh ourselves of the beautiful, wonderful power of the Word of God. And it says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God. 
You know, commentators believe that Paul was sitting in, in house arrest in prison right now, basically at home, and he's being guarded by Roman soldiers. So he's, you know, using his imagination as we do. He's sitting there writing his epistle to the church in Ephesian, Ephesus. And he looks at this Roman soldier, all decked out in armor, and he thinks, you know what, this guy's ready for battle. We need to get ready for battle. So we need to put on a different kind of armor. And he's going to explain to us this different kind of armor. And the reason why is so we can stand against the attacks of the devil. And that's going to happen. He's going, the devil's going to attack. He's there. He's attacking. He's taking people down. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's a hard one to think of because I get really mad at people. I get really mad when people do dumb things. I get really mad when people hurt and abuse other people. I get mad when they disappoint and when they fall into sin and do really harmful, pathetic things. But there's a spiritual depth that we need to attack and we need to concentrate on. People can change. People can turn. They can repent. The worst of sinners, oh, say Paul, for instance, who wrote most of the Bible, was a horrible sinner who, who oppressed, persecuted, and killed Christians. He changed. And aren't we glad about that? So it's possible. It's possible even for those people who drive us nuts in our lives that they can change too. Because it's not against flesh and blood. But this battle is against the powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, the reasonable conclusion is we need to put on this kind of armor that comes from God. Again, so that when the day of evil comes, and it will come, it's here. We fight it every day. We may not be aware of it, but we do. You may be able to stand your ground. We need to stand our ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth. So truth's the element. How do we know the truth? It's revealed by the word of God. We need to trust in it. We need to gird ourselves with it. A breastplate of righteousness. <clears throat> Again, daikusune. The word daikusune, which means the inner goodness. Walking with God, giving your life to God, surrendering to God, living a life of righteousness, living a life that is that, that, that resembles God, that is fitting with the kingdom of God. Um, the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. N knowing the gospel. Communicating the gospel. Believing in the gospel. The, you, the gospel, the other word for the gospel is good news. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching the good news. Have we been taught the good news? Do we understand it? Do we know how we received it? Have we accepted it? Are we able to give it? And by the way, the gospel, I like how it's described here, is of peace. The gospel gives you peace. Our world is hectic, crazy, and violent. <laughs> it's hostile. But it's nice to know that the gospel gives us peace. So in that sense, it should be attractive, right? Who doesn't want peace? <clears throat> the reason why they supposedly don't want it is because the devil's blinded them. Because again, spiritual war that we're fighting. In addition to all this, take up shield of faith. Faith. Total trust in God with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, which they will come. The devil will attack you, especially if you're trying. <laughs> especially if you're out there trying to give the gospel and trying to make a difference. The devil will see it and will try to get you up. He will try to take you away. I've seen it happen so many times. You need to have faith. Just total trust in God. Take the helmet of salvation, knowing you're saved, trusting you're saved, resting in that as he provides, as he gives. And of course, that word again, the word of the Lord, the Bible, which is called the sword of the Spirit, 
the word of God. And he concludes by saying, pray, 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 pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray with, with earnesty. Pray with, with, with passion. Pray all the time on all occasions. Pray in all kinds of different ways. Just, just keep praying. Don't shut up. Pray. Be alert. Use your mind. Be smart. How are we going to do these things if we're lazy and if we checked out? No, we can't. We need to be alert. We need to be watchful. We need to always keep praying. Praying for people. The Lord's people. He says here, but people. People need prayer. So continuing on, we got a few more minutes here before I running into the going over time. Matthew 10, 2 to 4 says this. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew is, is, is of all these apostles, or, or the original disciples, is the only one we've come in contact with. Remember when Jesus ministered to him and called him out, and the Pharisees gave him a hard time for hanging out with sinners. Well, that's Matthew, who is believed to be the, the writer of his gospel. James, son of Alphaeus, and uh, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealots, and Jesus Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, he called these people, just like he calls us. He still calls people. He calls these original guys. And Jesus, when he cho- chooses people, he chooses people, and he gives them a ton of grace. Because we need lots of grace, because we mess up. Just like these guys here. I could have done a, a, a biography on all of these guys and show you their goods and the bad sides. But just to simplify it, these guys he chose, and he knew when he chose them that some of them are going to deny him. Have a bad temper. You know, the son of thunder, or the sons of thunder. A lot of commentators believe that they had a temper. They wanted to call down fire from heaven to burn up a city in Samaria. So, <coughs> prone to give up. When Jesus died, they all took off, went fishing again. Jesus came back. Where are you at? Hey, what's up? Uh, we went back to the regular thing. You know, we're done with the disciple thing. They're skeptics, doubters, sinners. And oh yeah, by the way, one totally outright betrayed him. And he knew it. He chose him. These men needed Jesus just as much as anyone else to whom they would minister to. I think the children are trying to bang the door down. Um, I have one more slide, so I'm just going to blow through it. These 12, this is Matthew 10, 5. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. And when Jesus sends, he's going to give us instructions. He won't leave us high and dry. He'll tell us what to do. We may have to wait a little while, but he'll give us some instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Not yet. Wait. Wait. We need to work on the lost sheep of Israel. We need to get the people of God who are of Israel. We need to wake them up because they're sleepy. They're lost. They're confused. They're like sheep who are flopped over. Or I remember earlier he talked about sheep, you know, um, a wolf and sheep clothing. You know, you, know, you know, they're deceived. They've been lied to. We need to, to give them the truth. We need to give them this message of truth. And this is the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Or... Again, the kingdom is at hand. We talked about this already. And this is a consistent message throughout Jesus' teaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the kingdom of heaven is near. So, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. 
Now he gets this next verse, and we're going to end with this. Freely you have received, freely give. Now think about this. A lot of people would want to take this verse and make it all about money, right? Oh, you know, God gives you, you know, so you need to give back to the church. When I, and you know what? Yeah, you have to do that too, but it's a lot more than that. A lot more than that. This is talks about your life. Again, we're talking about daikasune here, inner goodness, having the kind of compassion the Lord has. What has God given to you as far as quality of life, as far as character, as far as sacrifice? He's saying, you know what? Here's Jesus healing and ministering and being with people. And he says, listen, I'm with you. I see that you're a sinner, that you doubt and are skeptic, and you're gonna, some of you might even betray me. But I'm still going to invest in you. I'm still going to give to you. But you need to turn around and continue to give. That's why I said earlier, the disciples, we receive from God. So a disciple, really, like I said down here, a disciple is a giver and a taker. You know, you have people who are prone to be givers and some people are prone to be takers. Well, a disciple should be a good giver and a good taker. We should be taking from the Lord. And sometimes the Lord might use people, but we need to say, Lord, fill me. Lord, give me. Lord, I need you. I need your provision for life. I need your character for daikasune. I need your energy and your spirit so I can keep going. Right? So we take from God. But we also are givers. We give. We look for opportunity.